Chrissy and for her willingness to teach Florida. And I um, thank you for giving her the time and the space to do this with two little ones at home and an, another one that's growing inside of her, Lord. Um, I thank you for the blessings that she has gotten from this study and what you've taught her, Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just pray that you would calm all of our hearts and minds now as we prepare to hear um, your word and um, just pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in what Chrissy says. And um, Father, I pray that this message would carry us through uh, Christmas and into the new year, Lord, and um, that it would just be a way to prepare our hearts um, for the joyous celebration of your birth in a couple weeks. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Can everyone hear me okay? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, woo, we are diving headfirst. <laughs> I feel truly humbled to be standing in front of you today, or well, sitting, (laughs) Um, especially diving into such a heady passage like today's. We are in Romans 5, verse 12 through 21, death in Adam, life in Christ. And it's moments like this that the Lord's sense of humor is truly on display. It was about this time last year that I had asked the Lord to show me the weight of what he has done for me on the cross. And boy, has he delivered. (laughs) To be honest, growing up in the church, making in my mind pretty good choices, I've always had this underlying thinking that I'm pretty good or that I have it all together or at least some of it together. This I've learned is dangerous thinking and minimizes Christ's work on the cross Philippians 3 verse 4 and 20 says, take no confidence in your flesh for your citizenship is in heaven. Am I living with an eternal focus? I want this kind of faith to live in daily remembrance of my need for a savior. How amazing that we are studying Romans. What better book to be focused on Christ's work on the cross than here starting at the beginning of it all, where sin and death entered the world. This is a heavy passage, but we must discuss sin and death to appreciate Jesus's work on the cross. We do not need more effort. We need a rescuer. We need Jesus. While this is a heady passage and there is a lot to cover, it is also very simple. The end of Romans chapter five is a great summary of the gospel. And I love how the previous chapters have really led us here in such a beautiful progression. If you've missed any of the previous talks, I highly encourage you to go back and listen. Let's dive into today's passage. I'm excited to share with you what the Lord has shown me in this. And I hope as a result, you can see on display God's rich mercy and love towards us all and truly appreciate our deep need for our savior. Many of this may feel repetitive, but I encourage you to stay with me through it. After all, we are a forgetful people, and it is good for us to hear things more than once. Lord, would you open our hearts to listen today? Would you penetrate our hearts with your gospel? Help us to understand fully the weight of what you have lovingly done for us on the cross. To understand what Paul says when he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In your name we pray, amen. So let's begin by reading today's passage, Romans 5, verse 12 through 21. 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First, let's discuss the themes in today's passage. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam. He is our covenantal headship, or our representation of all of humanity. We're going to expand on this in a bit. Adam's disobedience and sin led to condemnation, resulting in death, both physically and spiritually, for all people. Contrastly, the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ on the cross, destroyed sin and death, bringing justification and resulting in life for those in Christ. In order for, for us to truly appreciate what Jesus's obedience means for us, we must understand our deep need for him. And for this to be deeply meaningful, let's take a further look at Adam. Adam's name means humanity, and he is who God chose to be our, humanity's, representation, or our headship. Theologian Michael Kruger reminds us that we as a humanity are in a covenant with God. A covenant is an arrangement or an agreement or a contract between two parties. The Bible describes our relationship with God as a covenant. In God's covenants with us, God appoints someone to act on our behalf, to speak for us, and act for us. What's true for the representative is true for those he represents. So if Adam had, had been truly righteous, that would have been passed down to us. Under Adam, we are covered by a covenant of works. The original arrangement God had with Adam in the garden demanded perfect obedience. Adam was created sinless in a perfect environment with plenty of abundance, yet he disobeyed and sinned. Under the new Adam, Jesus, we are covered by a covenant of grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. 
this second covenant did not fail. We see this concept of representation in our culture today, in our political system, parents who represent their children, the coach of a favorite sports team, maybe the captain of a team. This person is appointed to the to be the spokesman or the spokesperson for all under him or her. If we as a country declare war, we together are at war. If our president, our representation, declares peace, we are at peace. It's important for us to remember that all of us are in Adam by birth. This means because one man, Adam, our representative sinned, we sinned. We are all, every person who has ever been born, are not only sinners, but we are corrupted by sin at birth, which makes Jesus's obedience and perfect, sinless life, all the more rich and amazing. We Westerners are a part of a very individualistic culture, (laughs) each person responsible for their own ways. Failures, successes, all are dependent on the individual. But the Bible takes a radically different approach, that of human solidarity, the individual as part of a whole family or a tribe, Other cultures understand this much better than we do. Author Randy Richards of the book, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, was living in Indonesia. He described his home as a place where they didn't lock the doors because everyone takes care of one another. If someone had taken his family's belongings, they would have been stopped and questioned. Why do you have Pastor Randy's coffee table? (laughs) One morning, Randy woke up and all of his living room furniture was gone. (laughs) His wife noticed this too, but she didn't know anything about it either. She said it was gone by the time she had woken up. The furniture was missing all day (laughs) until in the late afternoon, a moving truck rolled up and movers dropped off his exact living room furniture. Randy went out and asked where his furniture had been all day. And they said, oh, we had a wedding in the mountains, and we needed more furniture. And we knew that you, being a believer, wouldn't mind if we borrowed it. (laughs) You see, we don't think in terms of a head or being a truly part of a whole. We think of ourselves. The mindset of, if I'm going to be judged for my sin or for sin, it better be my sin that I'm being judged for, not Adam's. Another great example of how individualistic our culture is, have you ever tried to get a parking spot at Trader Joe's after 10 a.m. on a Saturday? (laughs) It is (laughs) cutthroat. Now, this idea of us sinning in Adam may be making some of us squirm, but I didn't make the choice to eat of the apple. We may dislike Adam as our headship or wish we were able to choose someone just like us. How often is this a daily struggle for us? Our daily battle of control or thinking we know better is our daily battle of wanting to eat of the apple ourselves. Isaiah 55 verse 8 through 9 says, "Um, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is something we must hold fast to as we wrestle with thinking we know better than the Lord. 
The fact of the matter is, is that God does know best and he chose someone just like us. Paul repeats this many times in today's scripture. We see it in verses 12, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. One man's one act of disobedience on our behalf. Through one man's act of disobedience, sin entered the world and all became guilty before the Lord. Michael Kruger gives us pause to consider the implication of Adam's one act of disobedience. What was his one act of disobedience? He ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this one act of disobedience affected all of mankind forever. We must not underestimate the holiness of God, nor can we underestimate the seriousness of sin. There is not one sin too small that can't separate us from God. Sin, all sin, is a defiance of the living God. Side note, Eve is not mentioned here, and you may be thinking, why not? After all, she is the one who gave Adam the fruit. (laughs) But Michael Kruger reminds us, Eve was not the covenant head. Adam is. Adam's disobedience affects all he represents. This led to condemnation for all, and all are condemned. This is original sin. All are guilty and corrupted by sin. I don't know about you all, but this is a good shock to my system. It completely dispels my thinking that I shared earlier that I'm pretty good. None of us are. Not only are we not good, we are corrupted by sin. We are dealing with a severe heart issue. Michael Kruger puts it this way. We are not born good or neutral. We are born loving sin, corrupted. We may be thinking that we'd rather represent ourselves than have Adam be our representative. Michael Kruger reminds us that if we want to represent ourselves, we cannot also be represented in Christ. Being represented in Adam and Christ is a package deal. We cannot have one without the other. While Adam is a covenantal head over all of humanity by birth, Christ is the new humanity. All are in Adam by physical birth, while only those with new birth are in Christ. Adam's one act of disobedience brought condemnation, and it leads to death, both physical and spiritual. Death was not in God's original design. It is a result of the one act of Adam, and it will not always be. What Christ did on the cross, his single act of obedience far outweighs Adam's one act of disobedience. At the end of verse 14, Paul says that Adam was a type of the one to come. This is in reference to Christ, the second Adam, who is also a covenantal head for us. Jesus represents the covenant of grace. Jesus obeyed, which led to justification, just as if I had never sinned. And this leads to life. We were born into Adam's decision and saved through Jesus's decision. Jesus's perfect obedience and sinless life is truly remarkable. 
And because of his obedience in a corrupt world where he could have sinned, he didn't. He brought justification for us in Christ. Because of his obedience, we can live. Michael Kruger tells us that God did not change the standard of perfection. After all, perfection is expected before a holy God. Perfect obedience. He meets it through Christ. He represents us. Now on judgment day, we will be able to stand before our perfectly holy and just God. And he will see Jesus's righteousness. Because of Jesus's obedience, his righteousness has been credited to our account. God sees us washed clean. Tim Keller says it this way. Jesus's achievement was not simply to remove the penalty for our disobedience. Wonderful though that is. It was to obey for us as our representative head throughout his life and supremely his death. While Adam was told he would enjoy blessing if he obeyed God and yet chose to disobey, the second Adam, Jesus, knew he would face agony and death if he obeyed, and yet he resolutely walked in obedience to his father. The power of the two is drastically different. Now, Paul uses the phrase free gift five times in verses 15 through 17. How often do we sit in this, that what Christ has done for us on the cross is in fact free, something we cannot earn or repay? Tim Keller says the power of what Christ did on the cross is far greater than Adam's. Christ's work can overwhelm and completely cover and undo all the effects of Adam's work. This is an act of grace. And grace abounds all the more. Anyone who knows me knows that I love Christmas. <laughs> Maybe I have more of an affinity for Christmas. <laughs> the smells, the anticipation, the tradition, the music, the joy. I could keep going. <laughs> I love it all. Like many of you, I plan thoughtfully in advance the gifts I will purchase for people I love. However, have you ever received a gift from someone that you weren't expecting a gift from? At first, do you feel such joy that they that someone thought of you in such a kind way? And then it can quickly come with a wave of panic as you realize, I don't have a gift for this friend in return. It's kind of uncomfortable to think about. How often do we sit in the fact that what Christ did for us on the cross is in fact a free gift, something we have not earned and cannot earn, and something we will never be able to repay. If we're honest with ourselves, this may feel uncomfortable, and all the more that it should point us back to Christ Jesus. We must marvel at Jesus's perfect obedience. It points us to the beauty of Christ himself. He succeeded where the first Adam didn't. Friends, death is not the final say for the, those of us in Christ. His one act of obedience, death on the cross, not only washes us clean 
but it completely reverses the sin we were born into. So that when God, the ultimate holy judge, looks upon his children of faith, he sees a clean slate. He sees Jesus's perfect record instead of our own. His son, the perfect, sinless lamb, died in our place, the death we deserve, because he wants to be with us. He wants to be near us. He wants the best for us. We are his treasures. Wow. What an incomprehensible gift. As I wrote this, tears filled my eyes. I know that all of us in this room have faced trials and immense suffering this side of heaven. May I encourage you, dear sisters, that pain and sin and death is not the final say. Because of what our Savior has done to rescue us from ourselves, our sin, we have an eternal life waiting for us. Death has lost its sting. Paul encourages us in Romans 8 verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Sin and death is bitter, and Paul describes death in 1 Corinthians as the final enemy to be destroyed. It is not the final say for those of us in Christ. Are we living with this eternal perspective? Are we looking ahead to our inheritance of what Christ has done? For me, I often get caught up in the things of this world, bogged down, consumed, overwhelmed with sin and death. In this, let us run to our Savior who understands the sufferings of this world even better than us. God's grace to humanity is greater than humanity's rebellion against God. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. We serve a living God whose heart is merciful. He loves us. Where once sin had reigned and all mankind had faced death, now grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is our only hope. As we head into this Christmas season, let us joyfully sit in what Jesus came down to earth to do. His obedience and perfect life lived for us. His death on, a, on the cross, a death we deserve. It was all for us. Let us rejoice. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The kingdom of God has come. We serve a living God whose heart is to be near to us. As we reflect on this, this Christmas season, Let's ask ourselves, are we living in Adam or are we living in Christ? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for pursuing us, for desiring to be close to us despite our sinful, corrupted heart condition. Would you help us wrestle through these things today? Help us to run to you with our questions. We thank you for providing a way for us to live eternally with you. Thank you for not leaving us in our simple condition. Help us to feel refreshed by your gospel and encouraged as we live in the sinful world. 
Help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.